Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. It's an honor to meet you. Hey, how's it going? Good. You've probably had more influence directly and indirectly on my life than many, many other people as I grew up uh, playing your games. It's crazy. It, it is. I grew up playing your games, and I've been recently, now as a 41-year-old man, getting very back into them. And so, uh, and I've actually just been talking about them on the podcast, so we were connected, and so, which I'm really excited about, and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Very cool. Yeah, I'm always... Uh kind of amazed that I have had any effect on people. Um, it's always kind of what I wanted the most to have happen. I mean, you know, with my life, it's sort of, the, it seemed to be the most meaningful way to spend your life is to have an impact on others. But um, I, I just never thought it would be through games. I always thought it would be through politics or something else. Like the games are always the side thing. Interesting. You know? And uh, but now that I'm back in the games, it, it makes complete sense. Of course, this is this is uh, you know this is the best way to affect people. So I want to dig into that, but this is a non-gaming podcast. It's uh, all, and so probably most people who listen to this may not even be familiar with role-playing games as a category. Uh, so many of them will be, I'm sure. But why don't? How do you? How would you describe yourself and your work? Um, my game work, I would describe as, um, um, I take mythology and, um, spiritualism and, um, and sort of my ideas about storytelling and how storytelling is the center of human experience. I've always believed, um, that that's, that the universe is made of stories that that we don't see the world directly we see the world through all these filters you know and that you know reality is an illusion you know we've all heard this before and i think i believe that's literally true that that we perceive the world through stories you know um you know this new theory they have which i believe is true that you know that the 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 concept of blue did not exist until like the first century bc right you know, which I find endlessly fascinating. Um, and, you know, and that and that there are some people born with four cones or four rods and most people only have two and they can see colors we can't see. But because they don't have a name for those colors, 
you know, those colors don't exist in them. Or a lot of uh, people, uh, native cultures, uh, not, I, I forgot the, how to call it. Um, I don't want to say native. Um, um, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Indigenous. I'm not offending anyone. Yeah. Uh, that 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 they they don't have a word for blue, but they'll have like three words for green, because in their environment, green is really important. You give them a color wheel of all these different greens. I've done this test. I can't tell the difference between the greens. I stood I stood there for twenty minutes trying to figure it out. They can spot it immediately. But if you put that blue spot on there, I can spot it immediately, and they can't see the blue. It literally doesn't exist for them. And so I I think this points out how. We do live in the story that created by words, not our only our own story, but other people's stories. We created, we, we live in a civilization built on words. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. I, 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 um, you're, uh, you of course have created many, many games. Uh, the first game, uh, of yours that I encountered was vampire, the masquerade in 1992 and the whole, you're basically the Stanley of the world of darkness, which to my mind is uh, a, a fictional universe on par with or better than the Star Wars or Marvel uh, cinematic universe. Oh, wow. Well, and uh, so I, I, that's, and I certainly, I still so, feel but, that uh, way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and also, which means that you have basically indirectly influenced almost all, uh, you know, fantasy literature that's come since. And, uh, <laughs> right. Um, but going back and looking at these games, well, even as a, even in fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, when I first started encountering your game, encountering your games, it was that idea that really came through, particularly with um, some of the later ones, but that reality is a construction. So you say that we've all heard this before, but I had not heard that as a young person. And this, per uh, this permanently yeah, changed I mean, I, the course of my life. I grew up in a weird life. family where we heard this all the time. <laughs> I see. Okay. Um, you know. And... Paul Tillich, the theologian, was a was a house guest. So, you know, it was, oh, a, wow. it was okay. a weird. It was a weird. It was a weird world I grew up in. What was it about that that shaped your your later approach to things? Uh, well, my father's a pastor. My mom's a social worker. They're both intellectuals. Both come from a families of intellectuals, and um, uh, they were kind of the rebels going to religion and social work. Kind of, you know, instead of uh, you know, I only have a you know, my bachelor's. And so I'm the least educated person in my family. Um, it's kind of, a, I'm kind of an embarrassment in that way. You know, I don't, I don't have a PhD or anything. Um, but, um, you know, I sort of grew up sort of knowing all this stuff. Like, you know, I read the philosophers at early age, you know, the, my dad started being the pre-Socratics and, you know, and um, it just sort of became something that I, you know, mythology, I just love mythology. That was my special thing of sort of reading uh, Joseph Campbell and all the mythology stuff. And because uh, um, I love Star Wars, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I was a kid when Star Wars came out and Bill Maher, my, Moyer had, you know, Joseph Campbell and George Lucas on a PBS show and yeah. it blew my mind. Yeah, I remember that. And so from that moment on, I was already into mythology. I was already into fairy tales very much. Um, but after that, I was just completely obsessed with Joseph Campbell. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because that that has uh, that's popped out to me a lot going back and reading these. Um, that it is obviously influenced by that, and it's such a profound modern mythology because it actually changes the way that you look at the world beyond just the game itself. Um, 
but one one thing that I wanted to ask you, going back to an earlier point, is what is it about games? You said that you didn't expect to come to games as as an art form. What is it about games that you kind of mentioned? Well, of course, they would be the most effective in in changing people's perceptions. But what was it about? What do you think it is about games that I think living in these that? times where everyone lives in their own bubbles and and everyone is so completely you know everyone thinks they're right. And everyone is so completely wrong, right? And yeah. everyone is obviously completely wrong. Like we can't all be right. And so what probably seems more likely is that we're all completely wrong. And, and, and just, you know, my liberal friends and my conservative friends, and I try to have both, you know, are just obviously in my mind, so completely wrong on so many things. I don't want to get into those specifics, but it's just, we all know what they are and, and and everyone is unscientific and everyone is irrational. Yeah. And, 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 and so I think the only way to really reach home to people is through art. And, and, and I think for the eighties and nineties and two thousands, like comedy was the art form that really spoke truth to people. You know, I grew up in George Carlin, the worship George Carlin thought he was the greatest thing, you know, ever. Cause he spoke truth to me, you know, like when he spoke about the owners you know, that's, the, you know, the owners decide this, the owners decide that. That's what led me to cyberpunk. And cyberpunk mm. is what made me sort of go, oh, okay. You know, maybe we're going down a wrong track a little bit with this technology stuff, you know? And of course, I'm a tech head, so I love the technology stuff. You know, I was on ARPANET before there was an internet. Nice. I love it. I love it. But I was always like, oh, man, maybe maybe Uncle George Carlin is, is right. You know, but anyway, with art form, I think the new art forms are going to be much more, you know, like thinking about role playing is that it's an art form based around shared imagination. Something that's going away, by the way. Yes. Like we live in a world where imagination is going away. People are so involved in getting the latest information. We're obsessed with information and the latest news that we are losing our imaginations, which is the worst thing you can lose of anything. Imagination is the most important human characteristic and moving forward with, with, you know, AI taking over all these other boring jobs. It's the only thing of value we humans really have hmm. that AI won't be able to take away from us for a thousand years, at least. I'm That's convinced. interesting. So, so you know? I agree with you. And I've, since the turn, since the beginning of the year, I've just become re-obsessed with the idea of games and role-playing games. And I was trying to figure out why. And I've been like really becoming i've been trying to get all of my adult friends back into it and they never did it as, as kids you know so that's a tough sell but for me it just suddenly struck me as this thing that i was so into is not something i should be embarrassed about this is a profound art form and beyond that i feel like it has so the necessary absolutely more, and it more has, than we even know more absolutely. than we even are talking about now it is so profound. Absolutely. Some of, and I, I, you know, just some of my, the, uh, my happiest memories are of just sitting around a table with my friends. Um, and, but it also occurred to me, like, this is actually has the perfect vitamins that people need right now for a lot of reasons. One is what other excuse do we have to sit around a table without phones and talk to each other? The other is imagination, exercising imagination with other people, which is the basis of creating any new cultural form or solution. But also post-COVID, people are so isolated and like you were saying, trapped within their own reality shells that I feel like gaming is a way, a non-threatening way to begin f fixing a lot of the things that are wrong with the society right now. And it's just such a profound thing. There are no bubbles when you're gaming. 
And role playing is uniquely an art form of shared imagination and words. Basic, per perfect role playing. You don't need dice. You don't need anything. You can just sit at the table and you're telling each other stories, right? Like you don't need miniatures. They're nice, right? Nice, beat them. Um, you don't need dice. There's other ways to, to deal with, with randomness and to give a sense of reality flowing. All you need is people who kind of have a, a shared idea of a world and some sense of a, of, of, a, of, a, of a physics, of a reality, of rules. And just with words, you're evoking a shared hallucination. I mean, wow, you get to create your own mythology. You get to create your own religion. You get to create your own world. It, it, is, it is so beyond what most people understand that I think that that I think that tabletop role playing, not computer role playing, because that's not real. Right. Uh, not until AI gets way that's better. That's a really important to right. How to bring the human element in. Yeah. And even then, you're being disconnected. There's something about being in, in person with people, right? Being in the physical space that that is that is truly important. There's something about. Um, I mean, we spent you know how many hundred thousand years evolving to understand these human cues of being in the same physical space with someone. And now we're trying to reinvent them in 20 years. It's, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It's not, you know, I mean, it's, it's not going to happen in 2000 years. It's not going to happen in 20,000 years. It's and, just yeah. not. And I think it's making people sick to it's quite making literally people yeah. very sick and it's making culture very sick. And, and, and we're, we're throwing away, you know, our deepest values, you know, that people on both the right and left are just saying, oh, democracy, who cares? Freedom, who cares? I just care more about being right. No, you don't. You don't. You really don't. Like, 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 like if we give up these things, you're giving up everything. Yeah. And not, and maybe for you, it won't be so bad, but for your kids and your kids' kids, yeah. it'll be terrible. Yeah. You know, and the later centuries of Roman empire, when it was the total empire, were the most, inhuman and unjust era of human history worse than anywhere else because basically 97 percent of the population were essentially slaves and i really feel strongly we're heading into that now where where the owners own everything and the rest of us are just you know we're we're distracted by bread and circuses you know yeah and, and i think and, there's a there's a kind of a prevailing attitude or there has been for several years now that it's like people are so disconnected from each other that they're it's almost like well maybe maybe we should be cruel to each other maybe cruelty is fun maybe at least we can connect to each other that way you know since when was that an answer being cruel is fun and we should do more of it it's like a human sacrifice society it feels like sometimes yeah i mean that that's, that's always been just common sense you don't do that and that's the person you don't allow in your group that's the mean old lady who yells at everyone who goes by her house and everyone says, just avoid her. Don't hurt her. But she's not part of our community anymore. She's outside of it and we're not going to do it. You know, just like the drunk guy at the bar. Don't go near that guy. He's dangerous, right? Stay away from him. We're not going to be mean. We're not going to kick him out completely, but he's not really part of our community. He's not part of our sharing community. And you and I think that's another thing role playing does teach very well is that, you know, like it takes you back to that, those times where that kind of world did exist. 
Yeah. And weirdly, most role-playing games, you know, either take place in a dystopian world where the outside world isn't like that, but the world you create is, right? Your little enclave of humans surviving the zombie apocalypse. You're, you know, you're together. And I think that's why the, the third episode of the new zombie show did so well. Oh, yeah. I love with, that. Last of two, Us. With yeah. the two gay men. That yeah. Great. They sort of talked about how, you know, they created a, a little mini civilization of two people. Yeah. It was profoundly beautiful. Well, gaming could be like that. It wasn't really important, but it was just, they created a civilization, two people. Yeah, that's funny because I remember having the thought in, I think, like a senior English class, they had us watch Dr. Zhivago, and there was a part in that movie where two people are trapped, snowed in for a long, long time in Russia. And I just remember thinking, it's like, well, they could just be playing vampire, you know? (laughs) That would be great. But um, podcasting, of course, is also a storytelling medium. And so I wanted to kind of sit back and ask you if there are some stories that come to mind for you of moments that you've had at the table or gaming that have just profoundly um, touched you or or shaped how you feel about it, whether that's a profound, sto- a profound thing that happened in the game or you understood somebody in a new way or a personal breakthrough was released or something that immediately comes to mind like that. Um recently reran the first vampire story I ever did, which was my very first playtest. And pretty much, by the way, the only actual playtest I ever did for vampire at all. Because after this experience, the the playtest disagreed with me on what I was adding to the game, like clans and such. And uh, they all quit. So they would never admit this, of course. So they want to say, oh, uh, we helped create the game. It's like, you guys quit. You guys quit on me. So I kind of made it without playtesting. Which is, by the way, a terrible thing. Playtesting is, as a game designer, I'll tell you always that playtesting is key. And by the way, we're playtesting my new game right now. But anyway, uh, I had them come over and I didn't tell them this, but it was actually going to be a LARP game because I didn't have any rules left. And LARP means, by the way, live action role playing where you physically act out your character. So I greeted them at the door and, hello, I'm Igor. Thank you so much for coming. Master is preparing himself, but please come in, come in. And then I, I let him inside and I locked the door. And then I said in my own voice, this door cannot be unlocked. Come in, please sit down. What can I get to you? And then I gave them uh, goblets and I said, these are filled with blood. If you taste them, they're filled with blood. And then I pointed the back door and said, those doors are locked too. There's no way out. And so I did this whole thing where basically this vampire was embracing all of them. And we did a whole role-playing thing. And uh, long story short, um, they ended up going into my private bathroom and falling out this tiny little window and escaping through the woods. <laughs> and I was chasing them down the street going, come back! Was this, in, back, was this in character or I out of character? You. you know, uh, and uh, it was hilarious and wonderful and incredibly memorable. So I had a recent convention uh, for a, a charity auction, I reran that story, and it was even better the second time. And a lot of my new world sort of came into this, which is a fantasy, and and it was a uh, um, fantasy vampires, and it was just so evocative, and and it just sort of made me remember, like, wow, when this when this stuff works, there's nothing like it. it there's nothing like it. Like 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 it's just so exciting to be in a room where anyone could do anything at any time, 
you know? And like, there's one character who was a drug addict and at one point he pulled out a gun and shot someone, you know? And it was just so unexpected and so shocking. And, and, and yet it worked. And that player was not mad at all that were out. They just said, I'm fine. Can I stay here and watch? I go, yeah, sure, sure. And then I, then I worked them in as an NPC, which means non-player character. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, um, like, like this sort of thing happens all the time in, in, in gaming in, in tabletop role-playing like, and people think, Oh, I played board games. I know what it's like. No, you don't. It's nothing like that. It, it's, it's literally as if you were there when they first came up with Loki. Like imagine you're in the room when they first came up with Loki. Or imagine the room when someone first came up with the word blue and they point up in the sky and they said, that's not gray. That is blue too. See blue, blue. You know, it's, it's, it's literally these moments of creation. The little act of creating something entirely new and you're there. You're not an audience. You're a participant. This is the whole famous Burning Man thing, right? Mm-hmm. I was I used to go to Burning Man back in the early days. Oh, nice. It was always I went it was once, always a, but yeah. It was always the whole thing. Was, there are no participants. There are no observe. We're all there are no observers. Everyone is a participant. Everyone is an active, engaged participant. There are no observers, right? You're all there to be to be creative members of it. And role playing is exactly that and more. And and because it started out as this, you know, back when geeks were bad, right? And a lot of people forget this, but yeah. geeks used to be oh yeah despised, you know. Uh, no, I remember. And it seems I, impossible now. I grew up in San Diego, so I went to the San Diego Comic Con every year, and I remember that, like, you know, in in I think the first one I went to was 1986, and it was just guys selling comics out of out of boxes. So the cultural arc between then and now, where like everyone thinks they're a geek. It's been phenomenal, and yet our role-playing games have been still overlooked to some extent. And I, I just yeah. remember going to Comic-Cons in the 90s, and even in geek culture, there's a social pecking order where it's like, and role-playing games, were, and I just remember always being in the role-playing room, and it's like always the bottom of the pecking order, even among geeks. Uh, and that's just totally, um, it's, it's something profound is being missed there, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's changing. It's, it's changing. I think, um, like for a while, board games were the cool thing, and role playing was the second best, you know, or trading card games were the top thing. And now, um, you know, because of Critical Role, all these different shows like D and D for for Hasbro, which owns D and D and Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering is not as important as D and D to their bottom line. Really. That's no, yeah, absolutely. One one in seven adults now in America have played D and D. That's crazy. I've never heard that. Yeah, it's it's nuts. And um, you know, Stranger Things and everything has helped a lot. Hmm. And and D and D is only one of the many role playing games out there. Yeah, and D and D is much closer to is closer to the board game or video game end of the spectrum. It's it's it, it's honestly the way a lot of people play it is closer to the war game. Mm-hmm. But but more and more because of these these podcasts that do that show like critical role that do role playing is that they're taking much more of a storytelling mythological approach, mm. right? They're doing it much more in this evocative, a beautiful way which is more akin to what I was doing with Vampire than it is with traditional D&D, which is really kind of a miniatures war game in a way, right? 
where you're rolling lots of dice, you're moving your minis around. Like they're not, there's no minis in those shows, right? It's all theater of the mind, hmm. which, which in, in, in my world, theater of the mind means you're, 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 you're describing something with words and someone else is answering with words and there's no need for props or anything else. The words are enough to create this shared hallucination. And, and that's what podcasting is great at, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it it is, it is a role playing in a way. Um, but so what do you think? Because uh, critical role is gigantic. And I have noticed that it's like now gaming seem particularly with younger people seems to live on YouTube and there are gaming channels on Twitch where people are, are playing. And I'm, I'm curious how you feel about this. It's still not, you're still not in a physical space with somebody You're still on the computer, but at least you're connect. I mean, just like we are now we're talking on zoom, at least there's that aspect to it. And maybe that's, what's kind of given things a, a new boost. I think, I think there's enough humanity in it that even if you're, cause I mean, obviously, you know, I think for easily 50,000 years, humans have been performing and watching performances, right? That's some sort of theatrical experience has been part of human culture. Now, whether that began as a religious ceremony that was theatrical and looking at most religions, obviously, you know, Catholic church, Buddhist, whatever, there's a huge theatricality to it, right? It's all about storytelling. Go in any church or temple in the world, it's immediately obvious they're in the business of storytelling, right? But we, but but I think we're very much we've co-evolved with audience and, and 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 performance, right? So we're already used to it. But but it's been a long time since we all were engaged in actively creating content. But yet now we're some in this world where everyone's creating content. For everyone else, like for all of its faults, TikTok is very, you know, most people on TikTok are also on some level making TikToks as well as consuming them, hmm. you know, not everyone, but a lot, a lot more than on YouTube. And so I think that there's always going to be a place for people to just sort of watch someone else role play. But I think more and more we're moving towards a culture. And this is the good thing about what's going on right now where everyone feels like they're a creator as well. And they can share their creations with the world. The, the thing is that I think that more and more listen to be people realizing that I want to be with people in a physical way mm -hmm. to create things because that creates a much more profound experience than doing completely uh, anonymously, autonomously. Yeah, it's like that shared mind is, is created, uh, like the third mind. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And so you think it's a good thing that, I mean, it's like the thing, the thing that I always thought about when I was a kid playing games is that they're the most role-playing, uh, it can be the most profound art form, but it's also in a sense, a kind of a paracultural art form because it doesn't really leave any record. That's different. You play the game and then the game is done, but now people are recording their games for YouTube. Um, so that's a bit of a trade-off. They're not in person, but there's an artifact left behind. And I think now that people are able to see what role-playing is, watching other people doing it, maybe it makes sense to them more. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. It, it's it's tricky. I mean, predicting the future. I mean, I used to do it a lot, and I, I think I'm pretty good at it. And my batting average is still what thirty percent at best. <laughs> you know? So what what are your predictions right now then? 
Um, I think we're going to come out of inflation right now, but we'll be in and out of it for the next few years. I think China is a spent force demographically and will not be a major power. I think Russia is going to probably lose the war. Demographically, they're a done force. I think America is going to become more and more isolationist and more and more crony capitalism and under the control of the owners. But I think slowly we're going to realize how controlled we are and come out of it. I think that's, I think that, I think that the one good side about the internet and all this stuff is they're going to try and they've learned how to control us using the technology so far, but the intrinsic nature of the technology, maybe I'm still utopianist, right? But I, I think just the nature of technology to spread ideas, no one can really control it, you know? And so I think at some point people are going to sort of wise up a little bit and go, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> they're telling us what to think. You know, should I really trust drug companies? They addicted an entire, all the rural areas on heroin. Yeah. Should I trust drug companies? Or maybe, or maybe, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not COVID denialism or anti-vax to simply say, we can't trust drug companies on anything. Right. Right. Because they started a heroin epidemic to make profit. Right. And that's a fact. Yeah. You know, and so I don't like personally, I think anyone who trusts drug companies on any level is insane. And it seems obvious to me, like you shouldn't. Right. And I think that's just so self-obvious. Like they can, they, they, they're the biggest advertiser of the media. Right. So the media is never going to limit them or criticize them. They're the biggest lobbyists. So Washington is crony capitalist, regulatory capture. They're never going to criticize them. So they're basically, they're the new military industrial complex, right? They're untouchable. And, and yet I believe they're, that when enough people figure that out, they're going to do something. Interesting. You know? Yeah. I mean, one of the messages, it's interesting also, again, going back to, um, you mentioned your your first vampire campaign, but just going back to the the very original first edition material and the stuff that you wrote, and then some of the stuff from Chicago by Night. Looking at it, it's so clear to me now as an adult that it's a political satire, like it's a political cartoon. At least it seems that way to me. Like you mentioned, watching Michael Moore films and and working that in, um, but that you know these these vampire clans are caricatures of of aspects of society, um, and it's absolutely it's, okay. But, 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 I mean, but it's done with respect to vampires and that I do think that if you were immortal, you would you would basically want to control that which you were most attracted to in your life. Right. So mm. so if, if you were attracted to money and the trappings of wealth and power and corporations and cigars and all that, well, when you're dead, you would still want that. So that's that is the venture. That's the venture clan. And, and so the, and the ventures still want to control, you know, corporations and banks and show off their wealth and flaunt it, you know, and show off their and, and, and power for power's sake. And so so these things are reflecting society, you know, and so it was both a parody and I was trying to be very, very real about it, like not make it a silly parody, but make it a, a deep and meaningful parody. And the way that some parodies can be, you know, like uh, Brave New World was, let's say. Uh, um, and, and um, you know, which was a very intense parody. Uh, Animal Farm, a very intense parody, right? 
not a lightweight parody. So in that sense, I would agree with you. Interesting. Yeah. And, and consuming that material as a, when I was younger, even though that aspect was not as, I was not aware of it. I mean, it gave me a healthy dose of, of antibodies for it's like, cause then you go out into the world and you're like interacting with all these things like corporations. And it's just like, Oh, well this is just like Pentex or like, there are these, obviously things are being yeah, controlled from yeah. behind the scenes, you know, obviously my, my we are in the world of darkness, you know, it's Pentex is this corporation in the world where it's this evil corporation, the werewolves have a werewolf game and the werewolves are eco warriors fighting to preserve the world. And Pentex is a stand in for all the, actual evil corporations trying to burn down the rainforest and all that. And I still get sent when gamers, and by the way, a lot of gamers who play my games have become political activists. You know, those semi sign people showing up signs saying, you know, the worm devours all <laughs> down with Pentax. And they're doing these parody things from the game in the real world. And I just find it hilarious. That's great. That 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 maybe it did have an influence on people and that, you know, and that maybe um, you know, because you know, I do believe in political activism can can change things, and and um, uh, and I believe very much we should change things. You know, I, I just think we should broaden our mind a little bit from our own neighborhood, and realize we live in a very small world today. Mm. You know, so what happens in Bang? You know, I, you know, I I don't live in America. Uh, I travel the world. Um, you know, I live in Central Asia now, and um, you know what? I just know for sure what happens over here will definitely affect America in the future. So you, you know? I, I was under the impression you lived in Georgia, but have you, you've moved? I live in the Republic of Georgia. You live, okay. Got it. No. So, so right now it's yeah. 1130. At night. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that's Tbilisi. That's, and Tbilisi. I literally live in the side of the mountains, which is in central Asia, not Europe. So I want to talk I, about that because I, I know that political activism is a big part of your work and I mean, and if you're comfortable with it, I also want to talk about your perceptions of, of the war, if it, because you're a little closer yeah, to yeah, it than no people problem. in the U.S. Um, I'm only not allowed to talk about Georgian politics. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Gotcha. So maybe okay. if we, uh, let's, let's just start with that. I mean, from that part of, from that vantage point in the world, um, what do you see is going on with, with that war and comparing it to, you know, uh, People's consciousness yeah, I, mean, I used America. to work for the pr former president, uh, Misha Saakashvili. And so I was actually here um, during the invasion of, of Russia on Georgia. And I was here when we were bombed. And I had friends that died and wow. were, were had their legs shot up and were, were killed and murdered. And I was here during the looting. And, um, you know, I was running the, the basically our uh, our media department, trying to interact with Western media to get coverage of the war and get people to pay attention. And it was very frustrating because most people were like, why should we care about Georgia? And when I always argued, well, Ukraine's next. And when they get Ukraine, they're not going to stop there. They're going to definitely take Moldova. And then once they get Moldova, they're definitely going to take the Balkans of Poland. You know, their, mm -hmm. their whole goal is to get back the empire. And it's not just a pride thing, although it is, because Russia's the last you know, colonial empire left. Like people think, oh, Russia's just this big country. No, it's not. Most of Russia is colonial territories. And most of the people being drafted by Russia to fight in Ukraine are people from the ethnic republics. Mm -hmm. Like when I tell people, do you know there's an ethnic republic made of Buddhists in Russia? They're like, Buddhists? Yeah. 
Buddhists on the Caspian Sea as a republic of Buddhists. Majority Buddhist. You know what? And it's like, they just don't understand. It's it's a colonial empire that was never disbanded. And they, they're terrified because their land is really basically so poor. You know, that's it's why, you know, they don't have a highway network because their land is just too poor to support it. Mm-hmm. They only have railroads, right? As they want to build out to their outer frontier, what they call the near abroad, so they, can, they feel they can defend themselves. They're highly paranoid, you know, and they really, they really just want to defend themselves. And they don't understand that they're dying up as a people, that the Rushika, which is the ethnic Russians, are not reproducing. Women refuse to have babies. They're, they're, they don't, the Russian men die when they're like, the average age of death for Russian men is like, I believe it's down to 52. Hmm. They drink themselves to death hmm. and women don't want to have babies with them. The women are all trying to get out and it's a dying country. And this is basically the last gas of a dying country. And this is what makes us so dangerous is that we're, we're in really severe danger. I think the trouble is we have no, choice like like this is destined to happen it was i you know i've been predicting this for years they're gonna invade ukraine hmm. no one believed me everyone thought i was crazy just like they said like when i told everyone there's a pandemic coming because i i kind of knew about it for china and being part of the um um ngos and non-government organizations you know i was in a couple of different groups and i knew it was coming i was telling everyone it's coming it was a, and, and everyone thought i was out of my mind but, but anyway, the same thing with Ukraine. But there's, the trouble is we can't get out of it, right? Because if we stop supporting Ukraine, they'll just take Ukraine. Right, right, And then right, they have right. no choice but to push on to, to, to Poland. It just becomes appeasement at that point, unfortunately. Yeah and, yeah, and and so a lot of people are taking the lessons from our horrible, horrible experiences in, like, Iraq, right? And they're saying, oh, the lesson is we shouldn't invade Iraq. Well, yes, that is the lesson, but we're not – we're not evading anyone. Right, right, Russia right, invaded. right, and right. We're, we're basically, what we're doing is we're defending Czechoslovakia instead of saying, oh, okay, you take, you take Czechoslovakia and then nothing else, you promise nothing else, <laughs> okay? And then I can go home to my people in England and tell them that I've settled this matter, which is which is Chamberlain, what Chamberlain right. did, is he bowed down to Hitler. Hitler went, oh, if he's going to bow down to this, I'll just take Poland. And so literally, literally we're back to taking Poland, you know? Yeah. Uh, I recently read a book. I've mentioned this way too many times on this podcast, but I recently read a book called Bloodlands by Timothy Snyder, which is largely about what happened in World War II in the buffer area between Germany and um, the USSR, so primarily Poland and Ukraine, and just looking at it outside of politics as just a profound record of human suffering and speaking to people from Poland uh, and Ukraine. It's just, it's on, it's unimaginable, I think to Americans, it's literally unimaginable. And you know, if we, if we actually gave a damn about like genocide, like, like imagine going to the Jews and saying, Oh, you can't keep Israel because we don't care about the Holocaust anymore. And we're not going to support you. Well, you know, the Ukrainians went through hold of more. Yeah, which is this basically fake, fake famine that that Stalin kind of created and killed millions and millions and millions of Ukrainians, <laughs> right? I mean, 
Like, and, and the fact that no anyone arguing, oh, we should stop supporting Ukraine, does not even know about this. Right. You know, it doesn't really care. It's sort of like the, it's like the killing fields. Like, do you not yeah. know what happened in Cambodia? Like, people we have, have a forgot, moral people responsibility. Have that. People have forgotten that. Because we did nothing during that. We did nothing. And we caused it. By bombing along the border, we basically caused it. You yeah. Know? It's weird. There's so many, I mean, it's so hard to tell what's organic and what's what's astroturfed opinion online now. But I, I'm constantly seeing things. It's mostly manufactured. It mu- e- yeah. Yeah. And now by I mean, software. I, I run a fairly large group. Okay. A couple places. Just indirectly, but I, I don't personally do much anymore, but I get reports and it, it looks like absolutely that most of this stuff is definitely, um, you know, it, it's it's people paid to post it. Yeah. And now it's they, bots, basically it's bots. Yeah. And now they can just have AI do it. Um, and that's very, and I've just noticed there's just this attitude online and maybe it's, it's all the AstroTurf stuff of like, oh, um, you know, the U.S. should be out of Ukraine. And there's just this demoralizing message. And also, you know, there is kind of the knee jerk uh, nihilist message, nihilist. Yeah. And there's also the like you said, the lesson of Iraq. I mean, there's kind of this attitude that I've noticed with people where it's like they're in America where they're so America centric that if they think any war or anything bad happens in the world, well, just the CIA manufactured that, you know, that America set that up, like as if we're the yeah, only yeah. actors on the world stage. And which, that's which is, which not is the crazy case. because every country has intelligence agencies and they're all doing it, you know, and, and the CIA weirdly, you know, is, is of course has blood on its hands. Of course it does. But would you really want to live in a country that didn't have an intelligence agency? Hmm. You know, I don't think you would, you know? Yeah. I don't think you would. It would be a very, very dangerous world for you. If your country did not have an intelligence agency, you would be having 9-11s on a regular and very frequent basis. Right. You know, I mean, and worse, and way worse. You know, like like I know a fair number of people who work in the intelligence business, and, and uh, as much as I tease them about Chile, you know, and other things that me as a liberal, I'm, you know, profoundly offended by, you know, like I remember uh, I was exchanged in Australia and uh, one of the students in my class during one history class said, well, it's like when the American CIA overthrew our government. And I went, hold on, hold on. The American government never overthrew. We overthrew governments. My uncle is blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, we would never overthrow a democracy. And he goes, yeah, no, that happened. And the teacher goes, actually, Mark, that did happen. I'm like, what? And we went to the library, literally me and the teacher, we just left the class. They showed me a book and the CIA did organize a coup where the Queens uh, representative um, declined to appoint the legally elected uh, labor labor government that was turned this is the 70s that was a little bit too left a little bit too socialist kicked them out and and, and, and elected a conservative government instead so and, and since that point I've been like oh okay yeah <laughs> right <laughs> you know, but America has very dirty hands yes but we're also it not make us evil it doesn't make us evil it just makes us an empire right and it it, it and, we're also not the only game in town and yet some people seem uh, to think that we still are even post-ukrainian invasion 
And there are way worse empires. Like, you know, like go live in China, go live in Russia, you know, join Steven Seagal and go live in <laughs> Russia and see how you like it. And you're not going to like it because you 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 can't say the word war. You know, I have a yeah, Russian speak, friend. Speaking of, live, speaking of live action role players, Steven Seagal, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, he's a big fake. Um, can't stand him. He's 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 a, uh, he's a goober. Um, so, how much of a threat do you think? I mean, I pr- pretty much already said it, but how seriously do you take the threat of Russia long term? Uh, whether that's connected to Putin or not, because you get people over here where it's like people are like, "Oh, well, Putin's crazy. He's trying trying to hold on to power," or Putin's got long COVID, and it's just like, uh, no, maybe they are rational actors. But, I mean, I, I, I'm of the opinion, as a lot of geopolitical strategists are, and I'm not a real geopolitical strategist. I just play one on TV. Um, but I think that the chances of a some sort of nuclear exchange, not not World War III, but something terrible happening, is highly likely. That That Russia is so prideful and so loves having an empire that when they start losing their empire, someone's going to do something stupid. Mm. And as they lose their command and control structure, they have nukes spread out so many different places that someone's going to start threatening the world with the nukes and, you know, black, trying to blackmail. And, and of course we, the West can't give in to blackmail because once you give in to blackmail once, right, then you're screwed forever. And that's what people don't seem to understand about Ukraine. Oh, Putin threatened nuclear war. We're going to back down. No, <laughs> no. If we actually did that, that would mean that everyone will become South, will become North Korea. Everyone will build nukes and everyone will threaten the rest of the world and we'll have a completely insane world. We can never back down. That's the whole problem. You know, this is, this is like a game theory, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Like, like once you have nukes in the equation, you can never, ever back down to someone threatening you with nukes because then everyone will and it will lead to a an incredibly unstable situation, insanely unstable. And they've game theory this out at the Pentagon thousands of times. This is well-known Rand Corporation. Uh, I may or may not have been part of these at one time or another, these game simulations, which is very high level uh, game stuff. Right. Um, And, um, and and so we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't negotiate. So there's just a chance that the hope is that'll be very limited but very, very dramatic, and it will scare the crap out of everyone in the world, and we'll suddenly get hold of ourselves and become a more mature species very rapidly, which I think is that's the high the, chance That's of that. the best-case scenario. Best-case scenario, <laughs> yeah. worst-case scenario. It just starts off a whole bunch of crap. Yeah, I woke you know? up. I, I had this bizarre experience. Uh I can't remember when it was now, maybe three or four months ago, where I just, I woke up from a nap with this terror on me that I've never experienced before. It was just like, Putin's going to drop a nuke. And I was just like bone convinced of it. And I never felt that feeling before. I didn't know where it had come from. And then the very next day they started talking about Russia moving nukes around uh, in relation to the Ukraine. And I don't think, I don't think anyone, like literally no one is prepared for what the world will be like if that happens. Nobody, because it, other than Japan, that hasn't happened to people, pretty much in people's living memory. Yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't know and, and, and how it'll affect people psychologically, uh, how quickly people just get used to it. Oh, I didn't get bombed. Huh. 
no problem, you know? And so, but, but then again, people do react, you know, like, like whether it was smart or not, I'm still not sure. But when the, the nuclear power plant nearly, it came within hours of them, you know, vacating Tokyo, like literally Tokyo, the biggest city in the world was going to be, was going to be, they're going to move everyone out of Tokyo, which is like, that's impossible. That's impossible. They couldn't, they could not handle it. Right. But it almost came that close. Well, they did change. They closed all the nuclear power plants, you know, which should never have built on a coastline. Crazy. Right. You know, but that's where the cold water is. You need cold water. So they built it right on the, on the coast. Well, they have that yeah. in Southern California too, San Onofre uh, nuclear plant. It's, it's where insane. I grew up. Yeah, it's insane. That that, yeah. that I I think I'm I'm a huge global warming person, right? I think it's a you know it may it may not be a clear and present immediate danger, but but the evidence says that it, you know, it probably is. And even if it's only a twenty percent danger of killing billions of people and hurting the earth and ruining his ecosystems and and making that beaches don't exist anymore. I mean, imagine that growing up in a world where there's no beaches because beaches take hundreds of thousands of years to form. Hmm. So, right. Imagine a world where, I mean, that's, that's the thing that the people can, the kids are going to hate us for our great, 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 great grandkids. You know, those motherfuckers, <laughs> I don't have any, we don't have beaches because of them, hmm. you know, that's, that's pretty, you know, much less, of course, all the creatures that live on beaches, and in rainforests and well, anyway, anyway, there's a 20% chance global warming can happen. We should definitely do everything in our public power to stop it. Right. Hmm. Well, it's the same thing with nuclear war. And I think right now we don't understand how easy it is to happen. And people don't understand like the, like for the nuclear war, like, you, you, uh, you know, and nuclear power, you know, you, you need, we may need nuclear power to defeat, to stop climate change. Right. Right. It's a, a stopgap. Yeah. yeah, that's and, the... and, for, and for nuclear war, we have to basically we we can't just bow down to everyone because if we do, they're much more. If we bow down to anyone making a demand because they say I'm going to nuke you, like Putin has done what eighty times during this war, eighty times Russia has openly threatened nuclear war. So we back down now. We're basically saying to the rest of any little country in the world, if you have nukes. We'll back down. We we can't back down. Mm. We can't. We we can't. We just can't. What is your perception of how the war is going? Oh boy! I mean, Russia has never won. A, has always lost the war in the first year, horribly. Every all their wars, they lose in the first year, and then they throw. Then then they throw people at it, and they slowly claw their way back, and they figure it out. So anyone thinking that Russia's out is foolish. At the same time, the last month, they've been trying to take back all these um, all these places. And I, I've, I've had some friends come back from the front lines. You know, there's a lot of Georgians there volunteering. And, um, and they're like, they're just so stupid. They've lost most of their heavy equipment. They're just sending storms across. And it's not like World War II. Or World War One anymore, you know. It's not like the Napoleonic Wars where you just have people, waves of people. Like we have enough weapons, we can just and 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 so they've been throwing waves and waves of people in the last month 
and they've been making literally a meter a day at most. Mm. And so it's really hard to say. Um, the trouble is, is that there's, you know, this has been a very wet winter because it's not been cold enough to freeze the ground. So Ukraine's only advantage is no bit mobility because of all the equipment they want and what we're giving them. Um, and you can't make use of that this winter, right? And so that plays to Russia's advantage. And we're not able to scrounge up enough tanks and leopards and all that. We promised them we can't get them. Germany won't really release them. So it's it's unclear if Ukraine can do a major offensive this spring. Honestly, what we really want is we want, you know, a negotiated settlement. You know, Russia keeps Crimea. Ukraine gets the rest of Ukraine back. War's over. That would be ideal, right? Well, that's that's edging. That's you know peeling it back to where it was at the start of the war. So yeah, yeah, that, that seems but will, unlikely. But will, but will Putin agree to that? I I Never. wouldn't. So he has to die. Do you think that there are people in Russia with the same opinion? I mean, it seems like a lot of oh, just. It seems like people absolutely. in Russia are sick of Putin. Like the absolutely. average people are not for the war. The trouble is the people he's, he Putin's gathered around him don't agree with that because they they know that once they're gone, then once he's gone, they'll be gone. Mm. You know, it's like uh, like uh, Stalin's crony, his fellow Georgian Zuria. Was it Zuria? I don't get the name wrong. I think it's Zuria. The, Basically, the head of the KGB, what was the yeah, KGB I, I, back then. I just watched that movie, Death of Stalin, so I know who you're talking about. Uh, Beria, yeah, right? Yeah. Beria. Beria, Beria. That's right, not Surian. Sorry, that's a character from my game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I based on Beria. Uh, anyway, Beria thought he was going to take over. He may have even murdered Stalin so he could take over. And he was going to bring back capitalism to some degree, like Deng did in China, like allow farmers to sell their produce. He had a whole plan. Which if he had done it, and and he didn't realize that oh when when they got rid of Stalin, <laughs> they were going to get rid of everyone around him, right? And so he was swept away, and all the inner circle was just completely swept away. And so Putin has made it very clear he's, he's you know so what you do is you bring your inner circle really tight in, so that so that everyone hates them, and they know that if if they lose their mm. their figurehead. They're they're not just out, they're dead. Yeah. Right? And so it makes it very, very hard to get rid of the guy on top. Dictators have become very smart. I'm convinced there's politicos like me who who basically advise because I've advised dictators, just this ones the USA likes. But I'm convinced there's politicos who advise these people and do the whole game theory thing and play it all out and do scenarios and, and they're high-level consultants that help dictators create. A, a, a situation where they can't be kicked out. You're, you're kind of giving me the impression you might be an intelligence agent, Mark. <laughs> I, I, I am not, okay. but I, I, I know a lot. You, it and, seems and, that uh, you're uh, moving in certain circles. And, uh, I'm fascinated by their work. Interesting. And, uh, but but uh, yeah, they would never accept me in those ranks. I'm way too erratic. Um, but, but, you know, there, there's lots of other people you know, peripherally involved who who may help, you know, various uh, people, you know, businesses and, and, and governments win elections or do pro-democracy building or 
you know, consulting stuff. Like is this that. why, is this why you moved to Georgia? Yeah. One of the reasons. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you think it's as simple as the singular personage of Putin and that it is driven by, by him or is it that he is just happens to be sitting in that chair right now? I mean, I mean, there's a huge, uh, division on that. And I think it's really a combination in my view that, that Putin is, um, you know, made a terrible choice and a terrible decision to invade Ukraine. It was, it, you know, he really believed he had this really incredible army and he believed his own PR. Right. And, th- but then, but this happens to dictators all the time. This is why dictatorships are so weak mm. is that they don't have information flow, at least in democracies, you have this continual churn information flow. You're constantly getting feedback, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, like in a capitalism, the reason capitalism works is that prices, just the individual companies sending prices creates an information feedback loop that keeps the whole economy alive and, and, and aligned and working, right? It, and these micro changes in prices change everything else. And it's an amazing system. And democracy is the same way. Dictators, they believe their own bullshit. Hmm. <laughs> they start doing this stuff and they, they're completely lose. Like Z in China has completely lost the thread. He thinks he's he's the, the king. You know, and to his credit, he seems to be redoing stuff. But I mean, their reactions to the whole balloon thing <laughs> are just so comical. Like, like one part of the government can't talk to the other. And this, this is the problem with dictatorships is they're just stupid, hmm. for lack of a better word. They're just stupid. And so Putin was stupid, but also the fact that Russia is a dictatorship, it was stupid. So no matter who was a dictator, it would probably be stupid. And Russia has an interest in taking back their lands because they don't feel safe unless they have these lands around what they call the near abroad. Have you heard that term? I have not, no. The Russian term for all the countries around them. And they believe that just like America has the Monroe Doctrine, like we have the right to interfere anything in the Western Hemisphere, Russia believes as, you know, an empire even though it's not anymore, that they have the right to tell anyone in the near abroad what to do, what government they can have, and everything about it. Whereas for us, like, you know, are we telling Brazil what to do? Not really. You know, Brazil is on its own. We, you know, we we stopped doing the Monroe Doctrine is dead, right? And we're the most powerful empire in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're literally the most powerful empire in the entire history of the world. There's never been an empire more powerful. And as we retreat to the Western Hemisphere, mostly, maybe including the Nordic countries and the UK, maybe Europe, we're going to retreat back. The world, you're going to see the world falling apart as we stop patrolling the oceans and we stop you know, because we don't need to do it anymore. We don't need oil from them anymore. We don't need any supply. We have everything we need over here. Do, do you feel that We're the American all our manufacturing back? Do you feel that the American Empire is on the on the wane? No. Okay. I think we're we're about to have a huge resurgence. We're gonna have some hard times. Um, but yeah, I think I think the rest of the world is screwed because I think we've just realized that why should we we don't need oil from the Middle East anymore. Right. That's why we used to have this huge military, because if we didn't have that, remember the 70s, right? 
I, I was not alive in the seventies, but uh, I have read I have, I have read things. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, you know, from the history, like 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 I like, just like everything that. went haywire yeah. because we stopped getting right. oil from the Middle East, right? And 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 it was in danger by Iran having having the revolution. Everything went haywire, but today, because of fracking, which you know, on one level, I hate. <laughs> Really hate another level. It's like wow. Well, if, if we're you know not not needing to import oil from Saudi Arabia, sounds pretty damn good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's the, like the, the, that's like nuclear power that for for clean energy that quote unquote clean supposedly clean energy that trade off. If you were to analyze the war that's happening right now from the perspective of game theory, you mentioned game theory in relation to nuclear war. Um, I'm curious how you how you see it through that lens uh the war in russia yes uh first of all it started out because despite biden doing everything in his power to make it clear to putin we know you're about to declare war and if you do we're going to respond very very strongly for some reason putin did not believe him he thought he was bluffing and I believe that Biden really did everything he could, but I believe that in a way, like America's media's really bullshit reaction to us leaving Afghanistan, right? And all the criticism Biden got, which I thought was crazy because the whole reason Trump and, and Obama refused to leave Afghanistan, even though they're told again and again and again, we cannot win. All we're doing is losing money and lives. We, can, we will never, ever win. Like anyone who knows Afghanistan, any of my friends who, who, who served there in any capacity, whether the CIA or, or the military, would tell, yeah, of course we're never going to win. It's, it's Afghanistan. It's, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. graveyard. Yeah, 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 right, like, right, right. You know, you can't win. We should have left a long time ago. And then everyone's like, oh, he pulled out. He lost the war. No, the war was already lost. No matter how we pulled out, once we announce we're going to pull out, it's going to be a debacle. So anyway, I think Putin ran into that and goes, oh, this Biden guy is weak. Everyone, everyone hates him. And so he's bluffing. He's not going to do it. Not Fundamentally not understanding that in democracy, you know, a president standing up to a bad guy doing a bad thing always plays well. Hmm. You know? And so Biden got a lot of credit for standing up to, to you know, and and uh, so that's the game. That's where Putin failed the game theory game. He, he, he completely misunderstood that it, he thought it was a bluff, and clearly it wasn't. Any anyone with any rationality could have told him that. But being a dictator, he has no feedback. Yeah, he made that decision solo. It's interesting how how immediately, like swiftly and immediately, he lost the game of public opinion just o- overnight. Putin. Even in his yeah. own country, yeah, and they were spending huge money and all on the different groups that I kind of run. There were so many Russian trolls pushing the Russian line. They were spending huge money, huge money. What, what, are, what is your what are your opinions on that? I mean, because like uh, here, it's kind of like there are obviously Russian trolls. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of big, during the Trump years, it was the go to thing. It's like anyone whose opinion you don't agree with is a Russian troll. But at the same yeah. time, there's definitely Russian trolls. I see them and there's operatives and they're not that hard to spot if you kind of look at people's profiles and comment sections. 
What is your yeah, t- what is your take on that? I mean, that? honestly, I, I think unless you know someone personally, you've met them in real life, you know, you've taught or you at least you've talked to them voice to voice, right? Online. They're assume they're a troll, assume they're a bot. Right. At this point, our we have to assume that our opinions are being manipulated by a host of different people. Number one, U.S. corporations, of course, because they control the media. Um, but but also U.S. government, foreign governments, foreign media, interest groups, rich people. You know, I mean, the list, the yeah. the, the amount of people trying to manipulate Americans in particular is incredible. So it's not entirely America's fault. We're, we're, we're just the most easily bought, right? Because we have the most media and the most free media because we're believe in free speech. So the, we're the most easily manipulated and bought. And and there's, there's advertising, everything else plays into it. And it, it's just a complete. So what I always tell people is that, listen, if you want to maintain your freedom, if you believe in democracy, this number one thing is don't believe the mainstream media don't believe in social media. You know, you have to you have to really work hard at creating your worldview. You're what the Germans call your Weltanschauung. Uh, mm. You know, you got to really carefully build it brick, brick by brick. Absolutely. And, you know, That's and it's great very advice. very hard. But there's nothing else we can do. That's great advice. And for me, uh, certainly, you know, World of Darkness was such a huge part of me, a part of that for me as a as a young person. And and I think just listening to you talk, one of the biggest, most important mental models it built for me is the world is this huge mishmash of competing conspiracies. You know, it's everyone is stuck in this idea that there's one top down control. It's like, no, there's basically all these special interest groups out there trying to screw you. That would be so great, wouldn't it? Right, right. Well, it's all lizards all the way down. Right. But it's just Wonderful. like in, in World of Darkness, you've got like 400 different special interest groups, like all competing with each other to fuck you over. Yeah. That's much more realistic. Yeah. I it's love an that. ecosystem yeah. of conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah. I, a, I, I think better. that to me, I'm very, I'm most proud of that because I think no really setting ever did that before. Right. And that at least to that level of having this incredibly robust and weird, intricate, you know, web. Of, of rivalry, you know, as well as cooperation, because that's the real world, yeah. you know, you know, and I, I, you know, working in politics all the time, you work in a political campaign and like this candidate and your candidate, you cooperate in this. And the next day you cooperate with them to fuck them over. And then they cooperate <laughs> with them to fuck you over. And then you're, 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 you know, uh, you know, I'll say it, you know, someone in your campaign, not me, bribe someone to do this. And, you know, it's it just, it, it basically is, it's, it's a bunch of bullshit, hmm. you know, and, and, and that happens in a political campaign on an hourly basis. And these are relatively low funded campaigns. Now imagine you're a drug company and you're spending billions of years to control the media and the government and to keep your, your monopoly. Like what, what how far would they go to keep their power? To, to not pay for addicting people to heroin, which they made trillions of dollars on. They'll, they'll go to any length, any length. They'll, they'll pay for sure murder people, for sure. Nope, you know, if I get too popular, if my this opinion gets too popular, 
and I disappear, you'll know why, <laughs> you know, mm. right now I'm, I'm, it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm too little. Right. But, 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 but loud mouse get their mouth shut. That's for sure. Yeah. That's just the real world. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. You're reminding it, it me what one of my friends I grew up playing vampire with loved that world, that model so much that he ended up becoming a campaign manager for the democratic party <laughs> going to Washington. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm proud of that. Cause you know, like, like the democratic party, you know, might've lost its way and sold off to corporations, which it definitely has, but, but at least there's people in it who are still believing some stuff and trying. Just like I have friends who are operatives in the Republican Party who are who still believe in stuff and want to do something. Hmm. I just wish those people would still believe in both parties would get together yeah. and do something to upset, you know, because in the end, what I care more about is democracy surviving yes. than I do about issues like as much as I care about abortion and gun control and yada yada environment, blah, blah, blah. That's nothing compared to what I believe is important, which is basically keeping freedom and democracy alive. Like, right. like this is what I'm, I'm actually worried about. That's like people are trying to throw the game board itself. Yeah. And I'm seeing around the world, like, like democracies, people don't realize that democracy is on the run, hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's disappearing in uh, India very, very quickly. Um, you know, Hong Kong, of course it was lost, you know, uh, 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 even, in, even Japan, you know, Europe, Europe is still a bastion. They're hanging on pretty good. But even there, there are places like Hungary where it's being lost. America is clearly on the cusp of something terrible and calamitous happening to freedom and democracy because neither party believes in it anymore. Mm. Like the hardcore rightists and the hardcore leftists absolutely do not believe in democracy. Why do, why do you think that is at the fundamental level? Because they've been manipulated. Like the owners don't want us to believe in democracy anymore. They realize, oh, all we do is make make the government so bad that people won't believe in government anymore. And that worked really well, right? So they made taxes really onerous. And it not, it's not so much that taxes were so high. It's just that they're really a hassle to do, right? And you're completely, completely reminded of it, right? Like your real estate taxes are automatically taken out. You know, you have to write a check. You know, your income taxes aren't automatically taken out of your your thing, like in Japan, your income taxes are automatic. You can go to the post office and, and sign a, a thing. It's really easy. But in America, they made it really, really hard and difficult and painful. You know, and then they they completely bombard us with with phone calls during dinner from marketing salesmen. Mm-hmm. And now they can call you on your cell phones too, right? Like, like that's one main reason I left America is I can't take people calling me. <laughs> Like, that's, that's a pretty extreme reaction. I do feel like that some days, though. You know, I would go home and my mom was constantly ask, answering calls from salespeople. I'm like, wow. Like, I don't even get junk mail here. I get zero junk mail. Wow. Zero. <laughs> I, I haven't watched a TV or any kind of advertisement in years. All my blockers. On my things work perfectly. I don't watch advertising of any kind. I refuse to watch any kind of advertising. I don't want to see it. It's gonna infect my mind. I don't. I don't want it. I have people who write room reports, <laughs> and else I'll, I'll watch. Oh, it sounds I, like I, it's like. It's a mind worms. They're mind worms. Yeah. You can't let them in. It's amazing how sophisticated the the 
techniques of mental control have become and how invisible they've become or maybe not invisible but it's just like they're so ubiquitous that they just seem like the air we're breathing like they don't they don't seem out of the ordinary anymore not at all it seems normal well it's because the phone itself it's a giant addiction tool and surveillance and tool and surveillance tool yeah. right i hate, I hate, phone. I hate phones time. i hate phones i think they're it's interesting. I was I was I was reading a somebody did a core just for some reason reading a Quora thread on uh, why were the '90s so awesome? And the number one thing that people agreed on was it was before cell phones and social media. And I think that might actually be. It's not necessarily before smartphones. Yeah, yeah, there were phones. It's, 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 yeah, they were. Yeah. They weren't everywhere. Smartphones. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to ask you about the '90s. Um, I'm curious what that experience was like for you. Of of it seems like you got on a rocket ship real fast and I, I just watched that world of darkness documentary and there's a part in there where there's a party and if, oh, yeah. if you'll forgive me there's a part in there where you look high out of your gourd uh and it looked like you were really or you look like you were really having fun maybe i'm wrong in that perception but it looked like you were really enjoying I mean, life I, I didn't quite realize how big it was until i went to dragon con in atlanta and a band played and they called me up the stage i'm like why are they calling me up the stage and then I know I sponsored this party, but why are they calling me up? And he goes, Mark Reinhagen, and they point at me. And then the whole crowd just went. And I realized, oh, everyone in this crowd of thousands of people knows who I am. And I go up on stage, and then suddenly the adoration hits me. And that's when, that's the moment I realized that I don't like fame. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> And I really don't. I'm not like everyone thinks that I love fame, and it, it, but I don't like it because it got to my head and I stopped being a rational observer. I stopped and I became an irrational, you know, dandy, you know, and, and, and easily manipulated dandy, mm. you know, and it was a great experience because I learned a lot and I got a, and, and, you know, being famous gives you an enormous amount of uh, self-confidence and um you know i've always been good at manipulating people and getting them to do things right uh, <laughs> you know um which is a useful tool and so with fame you can do that times 10 but you lose track of yourself it's a terrible terrible thing I, why people want to be famous when it's so easy to lose track of yourself it's just crazy to me hmm. when when eventually every famous person ends up over time playing a facsimile of how they remember they were yeah. You know, yeah. they're acting. Yeah. And that seems like a nightmare to me. Like, and one of the reasons I really traveled and left America is that, you know, for a while there, I couldn't go to the mall without being recognized. Really? Wow. I remember, I remember having a girlfriend and we, and I said, you know, she wanted to go shopping. I was like, okay, well, we can't go shopping in New York. And she goes, why? Well, let's just go to Jersey. We'll go to my, we'll drive to my river house and we'll, we'll stop in the mall on the way. And we stop in the mall, and then two kids stop me. <laughs> I said, are you Mark Reinhagen? And my girlfriend looks at me and goes, I think you need to tell me something. And I had to explain to her who I was. <laughs> and, and she was like, okay, take me to a game store. I want to see this book. So I, I didn't keep it. I, you know, I was trying to hide from it. And so when I met my wife, uh, I was like, yeah, we got to leave America. You know? Wow. I can't do it. Wow. Yeah. And that's how, I mean, and I'm not even that famous, like, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm very, 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 
uh, anti-fame. Hmm. So for me, even a little bit, you know, is hard. Not if I go to a convention, people come up to me. It's fine. I agree to go to the convention, right? It just creeps me out if I'm with my kid. You know, yeah, when yeah, someone yeah, comes yeah, up yeah, to me, right, right, right. You know, I want to be anonymous. I'm curious about the games you've worked on since and that you're working on currently and how your philosophy of game design has changed and perhaps what your what your thoughts about what is what is most important to bring to the world in that sense are. Um I'm working on a world called Lost Lorn, which which basically has vampires and werewolves and monsters, which we're calling the Amortals. And um um, and they're basically the accursed, they, they, you know, um, and, and they're basically, uh, it's sort of like a world of darkness, but in a fantasy world, but it's a world in which there is, um, reincarnation oh, wow. and people are born again and again and again. So when you die, you're not necessarily die forever. You come back. And so for the immortals, what they're doing is they maybe become immortal vampires become immortal but then when they do die, they die forever. Their moats die, their souls die forever. So in a way, it's a sort of a tragedy. And, and so I'm trying to play with, uh, you know, with World of Darkness, I kind of piggybacked on Christianity as a mythology because I grew up, my dad was a Lutheran minister. And, and, and so I grew up, you know, understanding the church very, very well. And this time I want to go, you know, more towards you know Asian culture, where I've spent a lot of time in in Asia, and and, and get a more of a Indian vibe, especially more of a Taoist vibe, Hindu, and uh, and capture kind of a a different kind of a fantasy world that 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 expresses what it means to be human, and sort of juxtapose the Western individualism against the more Asian communalism outlook you know and um and sort of sort of i i guess i guess part of it a lot of it is is, is i think americans tend to be so navel gazing yes that's one yes why we're, ridiculously so and that's one reason we're so easy to manipulate is we're so narcissistic and obsessed <laughs> with ourselves you know most americans have never left america yeah right like yep. i just take it for granted that you know where Bali is or what Bali is, right, or, right. you know, like, for, you know, for me, it's just, a, it's just a place I go to, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that is sort of like, wow. Like people don't realize no, like basic stuff, like, like people from Southern India and Australian Aborigines are related ethnically. Like Polynesians are related to Australian Aborigines, that they're 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 related peoples. You know, and that the fact that people don't understand these basic things, you know, or that Siberians and Native Americans are like that's a really obvious. Yet you tell people that and they're amazed. And then, by the way, that's not just Americans, everyone in the world, people are shockingly ignorant, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, um, you know, what you're talking about, how I, I sort of evoke this complex world with vampire, right? With all these layers and different conspiracies going on. I, I think if you make, take an entire fantasy world and you create that with, with that kind of depth, 
I think that you're allowed, you're able to get at things that you cannot talk about in our world anymore. So for instance, we have in this world, we have Metalborn, where the people who've been on Lorne, lost Lorne for a long, long time. So they have a little metallic tinge to their skin. And then you have the pureborn who have only recently arrived in the last 400 years. They invaded and they conquered Lorne. So they're the colonists, right? So we can get at all these issues like race and colonialization, and we can speak about it in a way that no one watching it or, or reading it or, or, or thinking about it is going to get offended and go, oh, I'm a black person and they're mixing up my race. No, you know? The, the black, Asian, white, we're all the pureborn. We invaded their world, hmm. right? And they're the metalborn. They have a metallic skin of different hues, admittedly, but it's all metallic. And so we can get at these issues of racism, colonialism, with a little tiny bit of distance that makes it possible to be a, a truth teller, right? Because today I could not publish Vampire, right? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, Impossible. Right. There's no way. Yeah, Absolutely going back no and rereading these books, and some of these books, I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, how did they publish this? <laughs> but um, Yeah, I mean, I, there's no way. We would be canceled so fast. Yeah, it's just like... You know, which is the problem they have with the fifth edition, is they tried to do it in a, in a, in a genuine, truly, you know, like... Like the, the people who are working on it were truly left wing. Hmm. Like like Martin, his he grew up in a you know in a uh, um, um, a communist commune in Stockholm. Okay, you know? that's that's pretty left wing. Like, yeah. like he's pretty left, and and he got lambasted for being a Nazi. Right, which which is which is of course ridiculous. Yeah, that but, was a, but that's that how was... hard it is. To do anything mildly transgressive, right? So, you, but you have to be transgressive to get to the truth. Yeah, that I was right? going to ask you about. I mean, it's like I mean, the question I was going to ask you, you've kind of already answered, which is, do you feel that it's a fundamentally, you know, writing a game is fundamentally different in today's cultural landscape than in the Edge Lord '90s, where it seemed like in the '90s it was just like people were trying to push the envelope as far as it could possibly go, uh, and well, now well, it's very and different. In the, in the '90s. You know, we're all united in that our enemy was the, you know, the moral majority, the fundamentalist Christians okay. who essentially ran the culture at the time, right? They were the the guardians of the doors, right? And the trouble is today, the guardians of the door, the, the, essentially the fascists, you know, who are, who are basically the censors. I shouldn't say fascists because that's not fair. Because the, the the moral majority and the fundamentalists, they weren't fascists. They were not. They're just very conservative. But our modern-day conservatives regarding the door is basically cancel culture, right? And, and they're basically saying, you cannot say this, you cannot say that, you know? And the trouble is, is that as soon as you do that, first of all, you know, I am naturally one of those people who go, wait a minute, are you seriously saying I can't say the word fuck? Fuck, 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 fuck you, right? I'm never going to let someone tell me what to say or not to say. Never. Like, I'll be thrown in prison, and I have been, right? Not in America. When did you want to tell that story? That sounds like a good story. I cannot. Okay, okay, all right. But I'm very proud of it. You know, basically democracy movement stuff, which, you know... 
you know, uh, uh, so anyway, like, like, so we have this gatekeepers now who are, who are, and so the, the changes is that the very people who were allies in the nineties to, 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 to rebel are the ones saying, Oh no, you can't say that. And the trouble is it comes from this very caring and concerned. No, please don't, don't, don't be so, you know, you're hurting people's feelings. And it's sort of like, well, being transgressive, we're going to hurt someone's feelings. You're okay with it as long as they're your enemies. But now that yeah. it's your friends, right. we don't want us to be transgressive anymore. But artists have to be transgressive. It's the whole point of art is to stretch boundaries, open minds, you know, test freedom. Like if you don't test freedom constantly, you're going to lose it. That's right. really interesting that you put, I hadn't fully considered that before where you said that it's, it's, a, it's like, it's that attitude plus it, but it's okay to be as awful as possible to your enemies or that that's combined with this utterly cruel scorched earth policy against the perceived other side um, that also gets turned internally. Uh, and I hadn't quite juxtaposed those things in my mind before. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's just, and it's going to blow up horribly for us. You know, like I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I respect conservatives and I try to be very open-minded to everyone, but I'm a true liberal in the sense that more old school sense of it. And I truly fear that, you know, like if push comes to shove, we're going to have a situation like Spain, hmm. right? You know, uh, you know, basically in the thirties where all the liberal cities will rise up and we'll march up together and we're going to fight the conservatives and the curse are going to go, are you fucking kidding me? You don't have any guns. <laughs> and they're just going to mow us down. Yeah, I live in Texas. It's like people do not have any idea. Like, like they don't have any idea. Like, like the liberal, like the, oh my God, the Antifa think that they're all world badass. No, like we have no. no chance. No. If it comes to violence, we have zero chance. Yep. Zero. Oh, we have all the geeks. We'll turn off the electricity for them. No, you won't. Yeah. Because those geeks who work for the companies are going to fold and be paid off, and the corporation is going to side with whoever you know sees them. You know, and, and as soon as and instantly the corporation will switch from we support trans rights to we support the family. It'll happen <laughs> like that. It'll happen like I that. I shouldn't laugh, but yeah, it is quite mercenary. You want to take a crack at the American political divide as perceived through the lens of game theory or as a game? Uh, <laughs> um, here, here's the problem is that both sides are not playing it as a game, like which is why you know for a fact that we're being manipulated, right? Like the, 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 the Democratic Party, Republican Party, if they were actually free agents playing a game, they would not be doing what they're doing. It makes no sense. The only way you can make sense out of it is that it's a prearranged game. And, it, and it's just a layer of a much deeper game going on where there's layers you don't even see. And they're just play acting yeah. opposition to each other. But really, the, you know, the Democrats, Republicans are, are there are some differences. Absolutely. And, and there are some real things. And I, of course, I vote Democrat. You know, I support Democrats solidly. Right. Just like I have some friends who are Republican for similar reasons, you know, just opposite mine. But but it's like so clear they're not playing in a game. There's no game. Going. So that means that that the real game is secret. So what is the real game? Do you think? Oh, the real game is the the owners uh, um, that, that basically there's these um, the the really rich people are spending a lot of money 
in America to manipulate and control things. So, so, and then it's through the corporations mostly because the corporations have the most direct control. So the families and the investors who own like, let's say, let's just say drug companies again, right? They have so much control over um, like they, like, like one third of American TV cable advertising is, is drugs. I did not know that. I don't watch TV, like, a whole like, lot of TV. Like so. it, it's incredible. Like Europeans all the time say to me, how do American, like there's so many drug commercials. This like, is like, one of the reasons like, I don't watch TV. It's like after five minutes, like they've told me I might have so many terminal illnesses. It's just like, I can't, I can't with this. <laughs> yeah. But that gives them, that gives them total control over the media. So they're a major player, right? So the military industrial complex does not advertise, right? But they don't have to. You know how they have total regulatory capture? They have um, supplier factories in every single state and every single congressional district that gives money to their candidates. Mm. So all the, the big five, the military industrial complex, all have suppliers in every single congressional district in America. So they're, they're in, right? Um, drug companies are in because they control the, the media and they're the biggest lobbyists. Um, soda companies, you know, like they're, they're like, did you know Coca-Cola and um, Pepsi are selling um, liquor now? I did not know that. Yeah, no one knows that. You know why no one knows that? It's not being reported. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But they're selling liquor now. That's never happened before. Hopefully we'll get cocaine coke back at least out of that. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, Wouldn't that be so what do you, at that level, what do you think the end game there is just money and control? I mean, either Americans get wise and, and stop being tricked into playing partisan politics with each other. You know, there's bubble politics where you hate people who aren't in your bubble. Either they're going to get wise to that or we're going to end up like uh, a true you know, cyberpunk dystopia where we're a bunch of pawns and they, we've lost our free will, you know? This is another another reason I've really enjoyed going back to vampire where it's like, instead of chess, it's like every, like every single character in vampire is both a chess master and is a pawn that's being used by somebody higher up. And that just goes on in this infinite fractal chess game forever. Or someone lower down. Or someone lower, yeah. And, Which is rare, but it can happen. But it's just like such yeah. a much more sophisticated uh, uh, game model. Um, and it seems more realistic. So if we look at it through that lens, we're talking about drug companies and corporations. How about, what about a layer beneath that? Oh, beneath them. Oh, well, that would be, um, you have a couple layers. Um, you have new money and old money. Uh, old money tends to be rated as, as someone who inherited their wealth and their parents probably got it as well. And the normal way of seeing that is that, you know, the first generation makes the money, the second generation builds the money and the third generation spends the money and the fourth generation doesn't matter because it's all gone. Right. Okay. And, and that is true for some families, but for other families like, like the Rothschilds or whatever, not a, they're especially that rich anymore. They're not, although they still are insanely rich. Um, like like you, you tend to marry each other and it, it creates this whole web of old money connections. And so I'm not quite sure how that works out. 
um, because you're not allowed to know. Right. 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 <laughs> like, like I, I don't quite, but I do know about the family trusts. I've met with people who um, they have a family trust and there's all these lawyers and weird people hanging around and it's sounding you know, like it's sounding like a vampire game. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Honestly. Like I, 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 I did, I did date someone who was, she was a member of a family trust and it was pretty wild. You know, like I was investigated before dating her. What was, what was wild about it? Just having, having someone come to my house and interviewing me. Okay. Okay. And then they're asked, Oh, by the way, it'd be better for both of you. If you don't mention this to her. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's like the Godfather. Um, And I was like, the first thing I did is like, do you know someone came to my house today? What the fuck? You didn't even tell me you had money. Oh, I don't. I don't have any money. They just give me money every month. <laughs> wow. One of, one of the one of the big questions I've, I've I have at the moment is because I, I I had an experience. My first job when I was in college after freshman year was working for a beach club in San Diego that old money went to, like Vanderbilts and things like that. So I got to observe them, and that was. very formative. But one of the questions I've had is, you know, the tech industry has disrupted things so much and so much money has been made by, you know, new, new groups. Uh, what the balance of power between, you know, old money, like you're talking about and, you know, the Bill Gates of the world is. I mean, yeah, to be honest, I don't think there's any actual conspiracies of like people in dark rooms, smoking cigars, you know, there's not even people in boardrooms having, you know, planning these things out. Hmm. I think what it is, is that there's all these influences. It's like what we were talking about before with prices, right? Just by thousands of millions of people setting prices at the yeah. same time, it creates this network effect that transmits information. And so just by all these different groups, rich people of different types, you know, donating money to certain groups that do certain things and, 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 and corporations that then, you know, fund these things and the government funding, you know, these offshoots of, of different, you know, government organizations and, 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 you know, these think tanks and all that, right. all this in aggregate creates, you know, a kind of a neural intelligence network huh. that has its own wow. motivations and power. So it, it, I don't really believe that, like my dad always used to say, I don't think humans are smart enough to have actual conspiracies. And I always used to tell him, I think you're wrong, dad. And, and this is what I came up with as the way to prove him wrong is that he's right. That, like, you know, his point was you couldn't, you can't keep it. If you actually have a little conspiracy, like the Masons were right. The Masons, the, the original, not the Masons, but the, um, the Illuminati, uh, huh? The, the Illuminati. The original Illuminati. Yeah, the Illuminati. Yeah. The Illuminati were a real group yep, yep, yep. in Germany, in Europe. They really wanted to overthrow the governments, and and they got found out. <laughs> they, they 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 tortured some of them, right? And then they found out the other members. Some people folded, and they shut the whole group down. It's been a myth ever since, right? Conspiracies are really impossible to keep. You know, you think well, you really think the CIA is going to let a conspiracy go on? <laughs> <laughs> Right, they want to be the only conspiracy in town. Right? That's, a, that's a rather self self disfulfilling uh, statement, but um, that's pretty funny. That's a funny. And so I think I think that these things are sort of done on a weirdly human level of 
It's a neural network. That's that such an interesting model to look at, a neural net. Um, I mean, I agree with you that there's not a, there's not top-down conspiracy, but there's definitely power and influence, and there are both certainly oh, there's there's certain yes. there's games you can only get into at certain levels, and you know, like I am not the same as the Koch brothers. You know, well, Koch brother, uh, his brother died, but yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and and, and uh, Bezos is definitely playing the game. Okay, you know, and and Elon Musk is very poorly playing the game. <laughs> what do you, you mean? Know, by, what do you mean by he that? He doesn't advertise. So he has no moxie with the media. He refuses to advertise. Uh, so he's getting slammed on the media constantly. Uh, he refuses to donate money to political parties. You know. Oh, I mean, so you think they're slamming him because them. you think they're slamming him because they can't make any money off him? Uh, everyone else is is paying them to slam him. He's they're right. definitely there's a massive campaign against Elon, which is what the left just went crazy on him yeah that was that he, felt very he, astro he, he lost the left and said screw it i'll i'll, I'll close it to the right which the left we keep doing this we keep making yeah. enemies yeah. of the people we need to win yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it's like yeah stop, let's stop that's very turning people that's very enemies. depressing that's very depressing um we're we're, we're our, our game like like as of course, I can't blame the left. We're, we're, there's no one making the decisions. We're, we're basically being manipulated into this, right? And, but, but it's obviously someone is manipulating the left. We're, we're being played like, like well, saps. I agree. Yeah. With, I definitely agree with that. Yet at the same time, I mean, people make their own decisions. Anyone at any time can decide to do differently. Do we? Can we? Well, we have to I mean, make that. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that our our ability for free will is very very limited and very very slender. My theory of free will is that we have free will, but usually we only use the leverage of our mind to make it have a practical effect in the far future. Like if you right now have this beautiful cake in front of you and you go, "I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it," you're going <laughs> to you're going to taste it. Right? It's very hard not to. But if you say in the future, I don't like cake. I don't like cake. I don't like cake. Interesting. And then you can maybe leverage that I over like that. time I like by that. keep doing that so that you won't eat the cake. But in the moment, your consciousness is so weak that that you know, the tides and moods of your of your human nature, of your being, of yourself, are so great that that your your the, the tiny little spotlight of your consciousness it's impossible to use it to do anything significant it's it only works in oh, yeah, yeah. i think that's the the mistake people make is they think their consciousness is totally in control so so people always overestimate oh advertising can't affect me right i'm no, superman your mic again uh, and again your your mic dunning kruger effect is a great example of this your you know? mic cut out by the way right right after you said only works when and then it was silent for about 10, 10 seconds so oh really maybe maybe the controllers are <laughs> uh, no what did you what did you say I, I every morning i always say hi to my nsa handler hi phil <laughs> So it, right, what, what did you say after you can only, or is it just lost? You can only what? What, did I, uh, <laughs> what was I said before that? It's like you were talking about how weak free will is. And as you said, you can only, and it sounded like you were about to oh, say. So you only um, leverage your, your, your consciousness to have an effect 
a long time in the future. Like in the moment, it's very, very weak. It's, it's almost powerless. And, and and very easily, any number of human needs can overcome it, mm. right? But 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 it, but if you use it to build up your willpower over time and build up your likes and dislikes, you can work. You can kind of guide yourself. It's like a steamship, right? You know, a giant ship with a Titanic can't avoid the iceberg. You have to see it ahead of time to avoid the iceberg. And, and consciousness like that. We can't make minute changes. We can sort of generally steer the the ship around the ocean, but we but we but we can't sort of. In the moment, it's very hard for a conscious to have any real power. And I think people all the time, with like the Dunning-Kruger effect is a great example of this. We always overestimate how much power and control we have. We think we're smarter than we really are. When in fact, you know, the really smart people, you know, experts in our field realize, oh, yeah, I barely scratched the surface on this. It's amazing for me to realize, like, how little I can do in a day. It's like I can get up, I can maybe do five things or decisions and then the day's over because and and will willpower is a flagging resource it really is it's which is why obama when he was president was very smart as he read this and he said i want to make as few decisions as possible yeah no that's a real that's a real thing and, and so he never picked his tie he never picked his everything was laid out for him he never picked his food it was chosen for him yeah that's based on yeah. his preferences and he, he tried to only focus on the key decisions. I, I try to live like that as much as possible. It's it's very hard, but it's there's a lot of... Uh, Steve Jobs wore the same thing every day for the same reason. Um, should, yep. I, should I ask if what game levels there are beneath the old money level? Well, I think it's a neural network. So I think that, that you know, I, like in creating a game, you can't say that. Okay. Because that is not human. Storytelling is about basically, you know, um, you want, you know, what theory of mind is. Yes. But explain. So, so, explain, so storytelling is, all, I'll, I'll explain to the uh, story of mind means you understand that someone else also is conscious and they're also having experiences like you are. Right. And so that's fundamental to storytelling. We tell stories about other humans. Not about neural networks, mm. right? So, which is why I turn it into humans. But I think the way it probably works out is that, you know, even though there are, like you said, lots of actors involved making decisions, doing stuff in aggregate, they're not a conspiracy. They're a neural network. I love that. I really do love that as a as a map. That's great. And and I think that's clearly true. And, and but once again, that's one of those things people do not want to believe. Because we all want our stories to involve humans on every level. No, that's and conspiracies great. are important to us. That's great. That's really <laughs> interesting because I've had the observation in the past that, you know, every like the more like our models for the world tend to match whatever our most sophisticated technology are. So people have had this kind of computer model of the world. And before that, they had a radio model of the world. But I love the idea of a neural network because it's the artificial intelligence view of of uh the world and it makes perfect sense to me yeah and clearly humans as a society and culture i mean we have billions and billions of people living relatively peacefully with each other right you know it's really quite amazing how 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 much peace there is in the world like we always think of the wars but really the vast majority of us live in relative peace and cooperation and that all works without a centralized authority so so clearly 
that are incredibly intricate. You know, anyone who understands, you know, the mathematics of complex systems and how they work and how computers work has some sense of this, that we're an incredibly complex neural network, that that uh, feedback device, and, and you know, and we're this cooperative species doing this. It's, it's really a miracle, mm, you know, is. and I, I think one thing I would like to leave people with is that, you know, as, 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 as much of a bummer as things are right now and, and as bad a place as we are compared to where we were in the nineties, um, <laughs> that, that, that it, that things are amazing. Like, like they really are. Yeah. Like, like people ask me all the time, would you want to go back in time? And I'm like, I would love to go back in time and relive my life and have a chance to rectify all the faults I did. But yeah, I think would I really want to go back and live without my phone and my internet or, yeah. would, or would I go crazy not being able to get the answer to things? No, things, are, honest, things, are, things are amazing. I would, I would go crazy not being able to get the answer to things. Yeah. I would go crazy. People not knowing basic shit. Like, like nowadays, I can assume a lot of people understand what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, or or or, or if what, not, they can just these, Google it on their phone right away and look at the yeah, Wikipedia. And, and, yeah, but but people are so much more knowledgeable. It's crazy. Yeah, smart. yeah. it is interesting going back, and I've had the thought, like thinking about accounts of supernatural creatures from the 15th century or something like that, and it's just like this is the world before Wikipedia. I mean, clearly somebody got scared by something in the dark and said it to somebody and they said it to somebody else. And then next thing you know, there's the story of, Oh, there's werewolves. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like in my own life, I remember fundamentalists protesting outside of my company and I would go out there and bring them soda and stuff and talk to them. And, uh, you know, uh, um, they weren't literally outside, but you know, I, I would go talk to the people who were against me. Like when I would go on appearances, at CNN or whatever, and, and I would talk to them, and, and I would say, like, what? Why? Why are you so against a vampire game? Vampires are silly; they don't exist. And they, oh no, vampires exist. Oh really? Vampires are real. And I'm like, what? what, what how? 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 <laughs> you believe in vampires? And I actually have a friend who's a who's a minister, and he has a very very conservative congregation, and he has very very conservative little literalist views he's a really amazing guy wonderful peaceful beautiful man but he has very literal bible views and i go i do have one and, he, well, and he's a gamer <laughs> he game, he plays my games i go do people in, in your community believe in vampires i'll go oh no no that was my parent generation no one believes that vampires are real anymore no one believes they're demons that's gone that's good so it's all and, and i go what was the changing point he goes honestly Twilight. <laughs> okay. How, so why? I, I, have this, I have this five stage process of monsters, right? So the beginning monsters are these unthinking, horrible beings that are, you know, underground and have no emotion, no humanity. They're just monsters, right? And that's the beginning of the myth. So the original vampires were ghouls. The, the second stage is they are, they come out of the ground and they can maybe moan and talk and they remember their past and they're seeking out their families and they're doing some stuff and they have some, so that's sort of the, the more of the zombie trying to return home at lair. And then uh, third, you have the, Oh, they can talk and maybe they're a little bit dashing and romantic and, and they're still very, very evil and dark, but you know, they're, 
they're they're and they're still very monstrous but there's something about them that's just so sexual and attractive and and then there's the fourth stage where they're all powerful and they're superhuman and they're you know but they're just dark and evil and horrible and then the fifth and last stage is um they're sparkling (laughs) so does this mean that since twilight was a largely a carbon copy of 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 a vampire that we we all must thank you for fundamentally I, I, I tell people all the time the thing I'm most proud of is that I got everyone to stop believing that vampires could possibly be real. Yeah, that's right. It's like if Twilight undermined the the Christian rights, you know, psychosis, yeah. and satanic panic. That's a that's a that's a good world, one. One of the key reasons my new world is flat. It's a flat world. <laughs> is that if I can do a fantasy world to make it popular enough, then that means that. Um, flat world people will never be taken seriously and no one will believe it because there's a fantasy world that's a flat world and it's obviously made up is this your new game yeah this is okay. lost and fang night phenomenal well i should please let us know where we can find out about about the new games and about your work uh, we're play testing right now so it'd be lostlorngames.com you can sign up for a play test and get a free copy of it um i laid it out myself we got some phenomenal artists. Even the playtest copy looks great, and uh, I think it's a it's a very very simplified version of role playing. Like literally anyone can play it. It's so dialed down. It's basically just a good read, and you kind of learn how to do storytelling from it. So yeah, please check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. That was an awesome conversation. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.